Morning, Christian. Right. <clears throat> morning, Shane Peden. This is Tuesday Morning Grind, episode 10. And we're going to talk about web monitoring. So that'll be good. So I guess we should start off uh, with the, the biggest question of them all. What is the dark web? Because <laughs> I don't think that anyone has a good definition of what the dark web is. So so what, what do you consider the dark web, Shane? Cool, man. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll break it down. If you go out there and you Google this, there's a very popular image you'll probably see or a graphic of an iceberg. And above the iceberg, the very tiny bit, you have the surface web. And the surface web is everything that's indexed by search engines, everything available on the public internet that you can actually find if you go looking for it, right? And then below the surface of that iceberg graphic, I would have pulled it up, but I didn't want to just be putting somebody's artwork up that I didn't have permission to use. And I didn't feel like creating my own. So sorry about that. But below that, you have what's called the deep web. The deep web is still on the normal public internet that we use. But this would be like services, like business applications that may be publicly exposed to the internet, but are not, you know, necessarily being indexed or meant to be found. Yep. You know, uh, and that, that could even be like your, your cloud infrastructure, email services, whatever. It may also, though, be content that you have out there available on the public Internet, but that you don't necessarily want to just be easily found and distributed, like research papers, business papers, um, business documents, things like that. There may even be f entire forums and wikis, like entire websites that exist that are technically, you could just go in a normal web browser, type in www.whatever.com and get there. But if you go to Google or Bing or Yahoo, you're not going to find it. Like they purposely try to keep it from being found and indexed. So that's deep web. And then dark web. Dark web are um, resources, software, websites, whatever, that are accessible on the internet, but only via a special protocol or a special application. So that the most popular I'm aware of is uh, Freenet, Tor, and I2P, which uh, I2P stands for Invisible Internet Protocol. So that's where the dark web is. And I don't have exact statistics off the top of my head, but <clears throat> the dark web is by and large, for the most part, comprised of illegal materials, as far as we know. Um, the hard thing about the dark web versus the non-dark web, the public internet, is that uh, in the public internet space, we have what's called DNS, domain naming system. And it's very easy to find things. So, you know, I don't want to go too basic, but for anybody on our team or somebody more junior that at least listens to these. Uh, the internet's tied together with domain names, google.com, right? Well, behind Google, there's an IP address. It, there's a, a numeric address that you would use to find google.com's services or servers. On the dark web, there's intentionally not DNS. So there is no search engine. There is no index. There is no easy to remember name to get to a resource or a website, if you will. And it's made intentionally to uh, not be crawled, to make it difficult to crawl it and index it. You know, so on the dark web, most of what's going on is illegal 
illegal pornography, contraband, paraphernalia, drugs, selling of stolen information, selling of stolen data. I've even seen before forums where you can hire hitmen to kill people. I don't know how legit that is. You know, for all I know, it's a big honeypot. You hire somebody to kill somebody and the FBI shows up at your door and arrests you. Um, But I've seen it, actually. Um, I've seen where you can go, you know, online and buy drugs and have them. There's a lot of illegal stuff like Silk Road was one of the most famous. If if people have heard of something, they've probably heard of Silk Road. Yeah. But what about um, like non-illicit activity? Is is there stuff like, um, let's say that I had a, a community of folks here where I live and we wanted to start like a little intranet that was mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know vaguely accessible by the internet if I could have the right browser kind of like a browser or something yeah yeah so Most I'm definitely. sure those exist too but th- that'd be something that, that that's just an example of a dark web situation and that doesn't necessarily have to be illicit but um, but uh, it likely yeah. exists I'm sure that exists out there I'm sure the military or is... companies things like that have that maybe maybe I I mean I don't know why Unless it's for research purposes or just for fun. Yeah. I don't yeah. know why a company would invest in a resource that is hard to get to. Um, I will get, I will tell you some of the positives of these, um, these protocols and these uh, technologies. They do provide a certain level of anonymity. Like you can be relatively anonymous if you access them correctly. So if you did have a legitimate reason to be anonymous, You can to an extent. Uh, That's not to say the nation states and spy agencies and intelligence agencies can't crack the code on that and track you down. So you shouldn't get overly confident in how anonymous you are out there on these services. Uh, But at the same time, I mean, there is a a reason that organized crime uses them. It's because it does do a good job of obfuscating where you are and who you are. And there is a high barrier of entry to getting into these forms because beyond just having to know how to use the technology beyond just knowing how to find the site in the first place it's usually i know somebody or you get invited in you know um it it creates a barrier to entry that allows them to do illicit business you know out in the open on the public you know networks of the world um so that's that's a dark web in relation at least to the public web and what we use every day yeah. yeah, can you talk a little bit? All right, so there's a few things I think are helpful. And I think ultimately what we want to get to is how this relates to information security, because a lot of mm-hmm. people are wondering about like dark net uh, monitoring and, uh, you know, how do I do if my passwords are breached and it land on the dark web? So maybe we'll get to that. Yeah, um, why, why monitor it, right? Why right. Yeah. Um, but maybe maybe one place I'd, I want to start to see if you have any thoughts here, and maybe you have, maybe you don't. But uh, what is the underlying infrastructure of the dark web? I mean, is it, is it, I remember back in the day that there was like MY and there's these peer to peer networks where you could share and still music, but it was basically a sub internet connected of, uh, that consist of people's individual computers that made a network and you could download mm-hmm. files off someone else's computer. Is, is that essentially what the dark web is? Or do you know if there's like centers that live out there um, that are exclusively for the maybe criminal criminal organ, uh, organizations owned. Do, do you have any sense for like what the infrastructure is that make up the dark web? Yeah, I mean, usually like um, I'll speak to Tor because that's the most popular and what I'm most familiar with. Um, sure. 
So I believe Tor, for example, was invented by um, a branch of the Navy. So they, yeah, I believe that's right. So they developed this for, you know, research purposes or whatever. And universities really picked it up and ran with it. And you'll run what, what are called Tor nodes. And in those Tor nodes, I believe that you're just exchanging little pieces of information. So you're distributing the information across different nodes. And that, that gives it a certain level of resiliency. Um, so you could theoretically host a Tor node out of your home mm -hmm. and participate in hosting some of the dark web if you wanted. Um, so it, it's not like those peer-to-peer -peer solutions like you were talking about, like um, what was the one, Napster? You know, like, Napster, LimeWire. Yeah, yeah it, it's not like those where basically have a software that negotiates a direct connection to somebody and you're just trading files back and forth. And it's not necessarily like torrenting where you get a torrent file and you're grabbing little bits and pieces of a file and then putting them back together from different people. It's more like you have these nodes on the internet and they use a proprietary protocol to communicate and connect each other. And then when you hit a node, you're being bounced back and forth. And, and that's, that's sort of the, uh, the technology that allows that anonymity. And then it, but you're also encrypting and distributing the sites to different nodes. And so as you hit them, you don't really know. <clears throat> well, I've never hosted a Tor node because it's, to me, it's very dangerous. Um, but I don't know that you necessarily know what's on your node if you're hosting one. You know, you're just getting things distributed to you through participation in the network. And uh, so it essentially becomes like, like you're a, a mini uh, distribution center, if you will, in your own right, each of these nodes. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that there are Tor nodes in, in, um, <clears throat> in data centers out there. But yeah. I've heard that, you know, universities will also host them a lot. I'm sure countries that have a lot more relaxed laws on things like hosting contraband and illegal pornography and things like that, you know, that's going to, uh, they're going to probably be hosting most of the tour notes for all I know. I don't really know where they are, you yeah. know. Uh, but... the, the reason I bring that up is because I have been asked in the past by, um, like, in passing, and I think some people who aren't familiar with like the distribution of these types of networks, like it's natural to imagine that there is a data center in Russia or some country that would allow such a thing. The main, uh, where yeah. this, where, well, I mean, where it's centralized, it, it could be there, but you mm. know, but the, the question always comes, well, why doesn't someone just take down the, the dark web or why doesn't the internet service providers stop this from happening? And it's very difficult to do that because of the distribution and because of the underlying technology that I think was intentionally created to make it difficult to, to stop and, and take down. It's just now used for, in some cases, nefarious purposes. Well, they're, they're so, also, the, the traffic is off also heavily encrypted. You know, oftentimes there are multi, multiple layers of encryption. Mm -hmm. So it would be hard for an ISP, I believe, to just randomly block these this traffic that's happening on i don't know like on different ephemeral ports even uh yeah, by ephemeral yeah. i mean like non-standard ports because if you start blocking those kinds of traffic how do you tell whether you're blocking legitimate business traffic or not because yeah exactly 
you know, because different applications are going to use different kinds of ports. And I mean, I know like especially ISPs. Especially that scale. Especially that scale. Yeah. And I'm not the best person to speak to this, but, you know, I know ISPs, for example, can block um, illegal file sharing traffic sometimes. But even then, if you start to encrypt that traffic and set up the services to work in certain ways, it gets harder for the ISP to block them as they're not able to peer into them. Yep. You know, so so the answer is it's it's harder than you may think. And it's also, you know, there's not like one ISP. Um, granted, we're getting there. You know, I mean, they they all kind of are. Governments are getting a better lockdown on the ISPs across the world, I guess. You know, so in some countries, maybe they could do more to thwart the usage of, of dark web. But there's still an entire world out there that are never going to block it because it's beneficial to their economy, you know? Um, so why would yep. they, you know, it's. Yep. Yeah. So let's get into um, the crux of the matter here. So there's this, uh, there's a concept called OSINT, right? Open source intelligence gathering. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, and, and there's services out there. I think one of, one of the common things happens whenever there's a breach, uh, one, one of the ways that you can find data, like, for example, the, the breach credentials um, is for sale on the dark web often. That's, that's the way that sometimes that information is monetized or, or just provided freely um, to whoever wants to access it. And so I, like I know our pen test team will often, uh, you know, go, go, not necessarily go to the dark web, but go to like, uh, have I been pwned or something like that, like websites that exist out there, many of them freely on the internet just to see if they can find credentials and then report that back to our clients to say, hey, look, your, your information's out here. It looks like you might've been victim of a breach or one of your partners were victim of a breach. And there's whole tools. Um, I, know, I think Recorded Futures one, there, there's many others out there that uh, do dark, net, uh, dark web monitoring. Just for like if you're a customer of theirs, they'll kind of look for your domain, look for people that are employed for you, uh, uh, you know, different elements to see if any of your information's landed out there and then report that back to you because that's an indicator that you might've had a breach you didn't know about. Yeah. So there's a whole economy that's been built on a dark web monitoring. So Jane, can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? Like what, what you know about it, how it works? Should companies be purchasing this? Is this a, something that you'd recommend that kind of thing? Yeah, the dark web monitoring. Um, so why, why monitor it? Then you, you hit yeah. on that because that's a marketplace for stolen goods a lot of times. Like you get a good breach, say you're a, a cyber criminal and you get a good dump of credit card numbers, for example, you, you're gonna go on to certain forums on the dark web and you're gonna try to sell them and get money for them. And that's how you profit off of it. Unless you just wanna start trying to actually use the card numbers yourself, I guess. Um, <clears throat> so do companies wanna do this? I feel like, yes, if you're a, a certain type of company in certain markets, uh, like if, if you're in FinOps, if you're in healthcare, if you're dealing in a lot of PII, yeah, maybe you do want to seek out a service to do it, a reputable service. Um, but on the flip side, do you want to do it yourself? That's where it gets tricky. Or for us, do we want our pin testers to be doing it? You know, that also gets tricky. Mm -hmm. um, so... If you think about think about what you may come in contact and what the legal implications are of going on the dark web, you know, and the risks, 
right? And that's where you decide whether or not you want to do it as an organization. Like I, I have friends that work in banks that even the bank doesn't want to deal with it. They even outsource it because there's there's so many legal implications involved. So if you break it down, when you access the dark web, number one, you've got to find the forums and the sites in the first place where the sensitive information may live. The way that our pen testers find ours is uh, there's actually, um, maybe it is the Have I Been Pwned tool. If you go to GitHub, you can go into the source code and he just lists all of the dark websites that the tool monitors to see if your credentials might be out there. So they're, those are relatively public sites. I even wonder how effective that is because it's just out there in the open. Like, yeah, why would you go? Great yeah. Web, yeah. Yeah. And it, but on the other hand, if they're really popular forms for selling credentials, maybe that's where you want to go because you're most likely to sell your stuff. You know, so it's, yeah. it's a little bit of a balance, but on the flip side, if you want to find like the good stuff, you're probably going to have to go deeper in. Well, what do you have to do before you can get into these forums? Are you going to have to communicate with criminal organizations first? Are you going to have to pretend to be somebody? Um, are you going to have to try and hack your way into it? Um, so this is where it starts to get gray with the, the law, at least in the United States. If you are um, trying to not do anything legal or illegal to see if any of your data are on these illegal forums, you know, because, uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, I was, I was just going to say, like, for, for me, I, I'm very hesitant to recommend that any organ this on themselves because I, I, the few organizations I'm familiar with that do this professionally, they've gotten like explicit permission from like the FBI or they're working in tandem with the with the different agencies to do this. I know that uh, one of our uh, clients that is in this business has like individuals that speak uh, different languages, like the whole yeah. team of people that speak, you know, Russian or Iranian and every, every language you can think of because um, a lot of these forms are written in those languages and you have to be able to communicate that. They have prior law enforcement officers that understand like how the, the makeup of the criminal organizations and how to access the data or where it even is, because it's kind of like going into a neighborhood. If you're a visitor, you don't know, you know, where the best coffee is, <laughs> but well, if you've been part of that, then you know where it is. So there's a lot I, of logistics that, that go into getting the good stuff. I think some teams even localize their employees in different areas of the world so that it's not technically illegal wherever they are to go do these things. Um, so if you think about it, if you impersonate somebody's identity or steal credentials or hack your way into a form, that's technically illegal in the United States. Um, if you come, uh, there's, there's, yeah, I was if you come say, in contact with contraband, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. That's gonna, illegal I'm in the United going there. States. Yeah. If you purchase it, maybe that's not illegal, but if it's an actual identified terrorist organization, you just aided and embedded terrorists, technically, from the perspective of the United States government. So that's illegal. So it's very risky to do this as a company unless your company is geared up to do it. And it's been designed and you've worked with the legal and other experts like you mentioned to set yourself up to do this. I, I yeah. think the rule is if, if you are capable of doing this, you know you are. <laughs> I think I think that's I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, so if you don't know, don't yeah. do it because uh, and it's not. It's probably going to cost you more to try to gear up and do this 
like just from a straight business perspective, it's going to cost a lot. You're going to have to hire people and outsourcing it. Exactly. Uh, You're you're mentioning like coming into contact with contraband is illegal. In the U.S., if you access like classified documents, for example, I think that's illegal. So you might, like if you, there was that big, um, what was it? OPM, the Office of Personal Management. I think a lot of that was classified and it might be floating out there. So if you access something as simple as that, it could technically be uh, illegal. Plus, you're just putting yourself in an awkward situation where you might have to come into contact with, uh, with. I mean, really you might expose yourself. So think if you're a large organization and to, to do dark web kind of hunting, you have to contact a hacker group. Well, what if the hacker group finds out that, hey, this is a, some person that works for some company, well, does yeah. that make you a target? There's just so many what ifs for me that it, yeah. that it just feels like it's something I wouldn't want to want to go after or wouldn't want to recommend. No, I agree. And if you are doing this as an organization, I mean, I think it's fair to say that you may someday be investigated. You know, the FBI or whoever may come knocking someday uh, because they may track down that you come in contact with something or you make contact with some criminal, you know, so it's extremely risky. So that puts us in a weird place with dark web monitoring. Should you do it? I think certain organizations should certainly consider services. You know, um, you mentioned Recorded Future. We're big fans of them. Uh, I really like their company. They've got a great blog. Uh, I like reading their blog a lot, actually. Uh, But then beyond them, I know Bitdefender also has a service. There's a lot of different services. But I would say be wary of which service you buy because I've also seen, I've seen a lot of, uh, I don't know a better word for it, fakers. I've seen people claim that they do dark web monitoring and then I look at what they're actually doing and it, it's pretty it's pretty sad. Like what, what Ryan and Asher, our pen testers do, I think is actually better. And all they're doing are, are checking very, very common websites and caches on the dark web to see if they happen to identify any email addresses attributed to any of the uh, domains of the client you know so they they kind of just do a quick they do a low risk once over for you as part of our pen test which are great you know that's that's definitely a value add we don't even charge anything extra for that actually i don't think and uh so but i wouldn't even consider that dark web monitoring the dark web monitoring services really go above and beyond they're really doing ongoing indexing and they're they're pulling together massive amounts of data and then they're they're going through and they're creating intelligence on it or they're building algorithms and and search queries and and data science routines around it that basically just look for it and try to pull out their customers data yeah and then then those services are cheap either i mean no they're they're, expensive Yeah, I think they're a high value. So they're, they're worth the money, especially if you're a large organization, but they're not cheap. You do see these like, you know, $10 or $100 a month dark web monitoring tools floating around. I've seen that they, like you said, they literally go to like, have I been pwned or, you know, some, some 4chan yeah. forum and do light monitoring on stuff that's really just the, the regular internet and call that dark web monitoring. And, and I don't think that's, worth very much for most organizations so i wouldn't recommend that yeah and it it creates a false sense of security you know so i guess the bottom line is kind of what you're buying 
No, I mean, and even as an individual, you might say, hey, do I need this as an individual? I've seen some some companies selling this now. I I don't purchase it. I actually, uh, I just try to have good security on the onset. You know, like have multi-factor set up um, bank accounts, have it set up on my email address, you know. Um, yep, use, I mean, use the credit card companies. Email. Yeah, that's yeah. a big one. Don't use Yahoo email stuff. Yeah, like yeah. I was going to say too that the credit card companies are uh, have become very sophisticated in identifying potential fraud too. So, so that's helpful, although that it's not bulletproof. Yeah. Um, but I mean, really, the things people want to monetize are your personal data, so like healthcare records, things like that, which you don't have a lot of control of anyway. That's living on someone else's systems. Your credit cards, which you do have control of, um, you really have to rely on. Um, you know, the credit card monitoring and just doing some diligence yourself to look at transactions. Yep. Uh, and then your your credit, because like someone wants to, you know, um, take takes a loan out in your name or a credit card in your name or uh, or still your identity. But that's really credit monitoring services or, or freezing your credit so that so people can't do that. So that's like some of that basic individual hygiene that you can do um, with passwords, with credit monitoring, credit cards, personal data. But that's that's more preventative than monitoring, which I think, like you're saying, is a much better tactic as an individual than trying to like buy some dark web monitoring tool. Unless you're like a high profile individual and you have a very special set of circumstances where you are a target for some reason, then maybe you have to go above and beyond that. But that's, I think, very rare. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're at about 25 minutes now. I don't want to go too long on this, but yeah, I mean, so our conclusion then is, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's worthwhile to to explore dark web monitoring i wouldn't take it on myself though yeah you know, if fair. if you're going to take it on yourself you're not listening to this podcast <laughs> you you know you know better <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly if you learn something from this <laughs> you're not you don't need to be doing your own monitoring yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah cool, there's a few good okay. services out there great well good discussion uh i hope everyone learned something and uh talk to you next tuesday yep catch you later